What's up, everyone? It's Tachi here, and I'm joined by my wonderful TV twin. Oh, God, you're going to say, <laughs> I don't know what I know what I was waiting for, Kevin. I, I, I don't either. Exactly. Do you not know your name anymore, <laughs> Kevin? <laughs> it's been a rough couple of weeks, Tachi. <laughs> Lord, to say the least, to say the bloody least, Lord. But we're here to be that bright spot in the Wahala that is going on that we call the United States of America. Welcome to another episode of everybody's favorite podcast. Tell us, Kevin. TV channeling, annaling, annaling, annaling. <sighs> and the crowd really is going wild. <laughs> All right. I don't know about you, Tachi, but I am super excited about today's show because we're doing a brand new segment. Never before. Oh, yeah. Done. I mean, I would say that I'm even hyped about this. <laughs> Are you, Tachi? All I right. am super hyped. <laughs> well, let me explain the genesis of this uh, to our okay. listeners. All right. So many times uh, you guys have asked us on social media and personally in person, for those of you who know us in real life, uh, what we think of a particular show uh, that we didn't happen to review on TV channeling. And so we try to review everything, but we absolutely can't. So some things slip by us and we don't review them. And you're like, we still want to hear your thoughts. So what we've decided to do is take a look at some of the more popular shows and maybe potentially even movies. And we're going to ask a question that no one has dared to ask before in the media. And that question is, was it hype worthy? Worthy, worthy. <laughs> and so we're actually doing it about two different Netflix shows that have gotten tons and tons of hype. First up is Netflix's Queen's Gambit. This show took the world by storm uh, in the fall and in the winter. And it was the most watched thing on Netflix for weeks on end, and people could not stop talking about it. I don't know about you, Tachi, when you finally watched it. I was like, uh, you know, trying to hold it back. People were trying to push it on me. I'm like, no, leave me alone. I don't want to watch some some show called Queen's Gambit. Was like, I've already watched The Crown. I need to watch some other royal thing. No, Kevin, it's not about royal royalty or whatever. Anyway, finally. Um, I was forced to watch it, and now we're going to discuss it. So before we start talking about it, Tanchi, let me give people um, the synopsis of the show we're about to discuss. Okay. Oh, and also, also, you know, it, in case you can't guess this part, spoiler warnings. So if you haven't watched uh, Queen's Gambit uh, and you want to go in completely, you know, baby fresh, you know, um, olive oil extra virgin <laughs> then um yeah oh, gosh. go watch it and then come back and listen to this episode <laughs> but definitely come back and listen i'm a baby fresh is this a powder commercial <laughs> you want to be innocent as a baby when you go see this uh then yeah you may not want to listen because we're, we're gonna go in all right, so uh, orphaned at the tender age of nine, um, uh, prodigist uh, introvert Beth Harmon discovers and masters the game of chess in the 1960s USA. But child stardom comes at a price. Mm. All right, so Tachi, what did you think of Queen's Gambit? 
Let me get this off of my chest before we get into serious discussion. I need for Hollywood to actually master wigs. The wigs <laughs> oh my God. are deplorable. How very dare you have Beth looking like a cheap Raggedy Ann doll. Awful. You can look, um, okay, and even in the later years when she was supposed to have grown up, had grown into her own, that wig was still awful because it was a <laughs> lace front wig. But look, let me tell you all what you're supposed to do. All you have to do is take a hint from all these girls on the gram that wear wigs. You're supposed to bleach the knots and pluck out the extra hair so that it looks like a real part. Nobody's part looks like it was drawn with a pencil, okay? I'm sorry. I just had to get this off my chest because uh, these, her wigs were awful. Oh, hey. my God. Well, the funny thing is I did uh, um, see in an interview that the little girl who uh, – there's, the, there's two different actors who play the same character. There's the little girl version of Beth, and then there's the grown-up version of Beth. And the little girl version of Beth, they actually did cut her hair and dye her hair that way. And the little gr actress was not happy about it. I wouldn't be either. Cause that's an ugly, <laughs> that's an ugly hairstyle. But I, at some, okay, yeah, no, you're right. The little girl, her hair was actually that page boy Bob. She, they actually cut and dye. Yes, but once she got to be teenage Beth, and um, then grown Beth, that teenage wig was deplorable. It, <laughs> it's, it's like. You know what they do? Okay, instead of having a part, it was like one center point and all the other hairs emanated from that, but you could tell where it's stitched at the center. Nobody's head is like that and nobody's hair does that. So you could tell it. So it just looked wiggy. I, I, can we do better, people? Just because it's a period piece. <laughs> well, okay, so, if we're, we're, we're going to start like with the nitpicking of the wig, I got to say, there are some exterior shots in this show that... Uh, the CGI, the, uh, the the effects weren't special. They were not I, I'm like, we can tell you're not in Moscow, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I can see this looks like a, a, a what is it? The uh, Not Murder on the Orient Express, but Polar Express. <laughs> the, like CGI from that Polar Express cartoon. And they just happened to stick the Kremlin in there. Ter ter no, terrible. Uh, you could do better than that. But you know what? I think... That is forgivable because of the story. Oh, you know, this, this is definitely Netflix's budget. They uh, First of all, they had no idea what they had. They were absolutely, I'm sure, the producers and uh, the people behind this and the people at the, that, you know, uh, the president of the streams, all of them were floored at how this show absolutely caught fire. It absolutely caught fire. If they had known it was going to catch fire, like they were like, well, you know what, let's spend more than $5 on the CGI. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm so I'm just really looking there. There are so many layers to this story. It is about so much more than chess. So even if you think you're the type of person, oh, I don't like chess. I don't give a damn. It's really not about chest chests. It's about chess. It's not just about chess. It's really about overcoming obstacles, even though that sounds cliche. It really is about dealing with demons. It's about dealing with your past and moving it. If you can even move past it. And sometimes this push to move pa uh, past your past and you haven't dealt with it yet. So there's this whole thing of her uh, her past event, there's going to be some spoilers. I'm trying not to do it, but uh, there's this whole thing with her past. Obviously, she's an orphan, so 
you know, her mother died. And there are all these layers that start to unfold. Um, we, we open up and basically this uh, young girl, Beth lives with her mother. They live in a trailer, right? They come from, well, they're in Lexington, Kentucky, and they're from not the greatest side of the tracks. And so it opens up with her on a bridge and there's been some sort of car accident, right? And her mother is there laying on the ground. And the two like police officers are talking about, you know, something about what to do with her or whatever. So she ends up going to this home for girls. Uh, back in the day, they used to like to say wayward girls. I don't get it, but... So yeah, that's, if, that's, if this were if this was a musical and it was set in New York, that's where Annie would live. It was Thank definitely you. an Annie kind of situation with with these orphans, and um, this there's this whole thing about basically they were just tranquilized these children to basically handle a, a, a school full of children with very little supervision. You just keep them all doped up. And um, they would each get, yes. they get tranquilized. They were supposedly, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes you guys can't see, vitamins. Vitamins, exactly. They're like, take this one. This one is good for your body and stuff. And so it, it, this girl is nine at the time, and they're already uh, doing that. At some point, the state comes in and says, okay, you can't give them anymore. But by that point, they're Beth addicted. Was hooked. Yeah, they're they're, they're, addicted. Uh, they're addicted to this. So yeah, so all of a sudden they're just cold turkey. These kids that have been spent years of their lives on tranquilizers, boom, none, and uh, yeah, they don't react well. Let's talk about the, uh, the the incident in particular where Beth basically is going through withdrawal and desperate to get yes. some more vitamins. <laughs> that right, be- go ahead. No, well, okay, so she knows that it's the green pill, the tranquilizers that are the ones that make her happy because this is what happens. So she thinks, right, initially, that basically the first time she took it, she was loopy as hell. hell. And um, her uh, her friend there, uh, Jolene, Jolene, I think is her name, right, Jolene, who is black and a little bit older than, you know, they're all older. And so the, the goal is for them to like get adopted. But, you know, as Jolene says, you know, they were like, you're either to this, to this, and Jolene says, or to black. And so, you know, you don't see a lot of dealing with race in, in this thing, but you do see touches of it. So, you know, there's that. So they are going, you know, through withdrawals because again, they it's been yanked away and, Jolene kind of looks out for her because once they find out that she's a chess prodigy, and we'll go back to that, there's one time when she's going to play the chess club at the local high school and she needs these meds, right? She needs these tranquilizers. She thinks that that's how she's able to make these moves and because she will see, and you'll notice in there, there's CGI that every time she takes the tranquilizers right before she goes to sleep and then she'll look up at the ceiling and she'll see all these chess moves. A giant chess board appears with all of the pieces and they move. She So she works all these things out in her head. You know, later on down the road, we kind of find out that she's thinking that this is why it happens. And so, you know, in addition to being truly addicted, she thinks she needs them in order to make all the great moves that she's making, that her prodigy-ness is based off of this. I, I just have to say this. These, I don't know if any of these, because this is actually a real thing, okay? The, the way that they handed out pills was like candy, especially in certain times. It's like, oh, no, you need this for such and such. In fact, there was one um, that they gave out to pregnant women in like the... Um, 
fifties and sixties in Europe for, um, uh, morning sickness. But what ended up happening is it made their children born with no limbs, all of them. So it's, yeah, it's terrible. So, you know, some of these pharmaceuticals and things, even if they see something, they won't, because even though this was happening, it wasn't until the 70s, Germany was like, okay, well, we can't use that anymore. We won't prescribe it anymore. Meanwhile, all these children have been born like this. And I'm like, nobody's making the connection. So I'm like, some of these states and municipalities, and especially when it comes to children that are wards of the state, they ought to be sued for, for the way that some of these children have were medicated, not let alone treated, but medicated terrible oh absolutely so um let's get into how the chest becomes a thing so um uh let's see uh beth basically uh one day wanders into the basement of the the school and i say school it's also it's it's an orphanage so it's a school it's where they live it's it's a, a dorm it's the all one building and so she sees that there is the janitor there is playing chess um uh with uh i think a correspondence kind of chess thing he has a chess board and he has a book and so he she keeps asking him if, if she can play with him and he keeps telling her no until finally to get rid of her he's like fine you know what we'll play once and um he plays with her and he beats her and thinking that'll get rid of her and then she shows up again and shows up again until all of a sudden she's beating him mm-hmm and consistently beating him and he gives her this book and she devours this book on chess and uh, it just becomes her thing and so i gotta say the actress who plays the childhood version of uh beth was captivating the little girl did such an incredible job i feel um uh, as young beth her name is um um i uh eyes uh, isla or yeah eyes well, well i know that i'm sorry oh, oh sorry I'm, 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 I'm sorry is it i know yes oh yes i s uh l a uh johnston and yeah uh, isla johnston and uh, anya taylor joy is older beth Harmon. yes and so they're both incredible but i just got to point out to get a child actor who's that good and some people will say well oh well she has an affect of you know because she is on drugs but i thought like she did she did that so well and even when she is you know affected by being on the tranquilizers, I feel like you still get glimpses of who she is and what she's feeling, even through the haze of the drugs, which I feel like is a really stellar performance. Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. And you can tell that she is being affected. So when you're that young, so there were three actresses, apparently. Annabeth Kelly was five-year-old Beth Harmon. So remember, they did some flashbacks. Oh, I forgot well. about the flashbacks. You're to, right. You're right. Yeah. So flashbacks of five, that's Annabeth Kelly. So they had three actresses that played Beth Harmon. But the bulk of it was uh, was what we'll call young Beth, the nine, nine and up. And then uh, we have teenage Beth where the other actress, Anna Taylor uh, Joy, takes over. I think when she's around 15, 14, 15 is yeah. when she takes over the role. And um, I just have to say, both of them have, are, are, have were incredible. But, uh, but one of the things, my favorite part of the younger performances of, uh, how did you pronounce her name? Is it I- Isla? I don't know if it's Isla, Isla? or Isla Johnston. Isla? I'm okay, not sure. Okay, let's, we're, uh, Isla, Isla, whatever. You're amazing, whatever, however you pronounce your name. Um, she 
does a heist trying to get her hands on some of these pills and and it, it her it, the way it kind of goes down <laughs> that that heist is amazing um and how it how it fails horribly <laughs> just the, anyway i thought that was epic that moment and to show you how good an actress she is i was actually sad when the, they went moved to the next beth when the the older beth because i was just like that little girl was so amazing i wanted to see more of her but when she handed the baton she handed the baton to somebody who just started running and never stopped Yes, and Anna Taylor. Bad wig and all. Yeah, bad uh, wig Anya. and all. She was incredible. And one I thing think her I will, name is pronounced Anya. Anya Anya Taylor Joy. First of all, okay, I don't know how. I don't know if this is right to talk about, but this woman is so striking. Once they get out of that wig, but um, <laughs> she is so striking. I refer to it as album cover moments. There are so many shots of her in these different period clothes where she looks so friggin' fabulous. She and uh, I, okay now you know I'm the clothing and fashion person, so I was really looking at okay the the whole the whole uh, transition, because obviously she was an orphan. She went to get, remember, she got adopted. She did get adopted by dysfunction, but she did get adopted. And I remember the scene where um, her, you know, the adoptive mother takes her to buy some uh, clothes. And they go to, you know, one of these downtown, uh, they take the bus or whatever and go to one of these downtown department stores. And her mother is picking out those, oh, yeah, the bargain basement up, up, upstairs. Nothing wrong with that. But she's picking out the most grandmama clothes for a 14-year-old <laughs> girl. And, you know, you can she can see the difference between her and um, the other high The other girls at school because she stands out. She, it literally is like out. a Cinderella kind of thing. And all the other girls at that school are the stepsisters because she's, like, practically in rags. Exactly. And they're wearing, you know, sad. This was the 50s. Saddle shoes were huge. So she's wearing these uh, funny looking Buster Brown shoes. But uh, every all the other girls are wearing like poodle skirt, like the puff skirts and not necessarily with poodles on it, but, you know, the, the flared A-line skirts with sweaters, short sleeve sweaters, um, bobby socks and, and saddle shoes. That was the thing back then, none of which she had. And nobody had that god awful haircut either. So I think that really had a huge effect on how much she loved fashion later. If you re recognize or realize the, there was a point when she was going to one of her mattresses this is later on and when she was doing, you know, trying to go toward um, actually when she was in Russia the first time, I think she um, they were uh, asking her, what would you say to people that say, you know, you're much too glamorous or you dress to look too glamorous to be taken seriously as a chess person? You know, and then she made that comment about, I would say that not having an Adam's apple is a significant advantage in this game. But, you know, <laughs> but, you know the thing is that I th because of her upbringing, that's why she loved clothes and loved style so much. They don't make a big deal of it, but it's very subtle. And because she came from nothing where you had to look like everybody else, where your stuff was state issued, where she was made fun of in high school for looking the way she looked. This is where, you know, you start to see this love affair and this infatuation with 
beautiful clothes and beautiful things. And you see that metamorphosis throughout the film all the way through the, to the end, not the film, but the series all the way through to the end when she's like really glamorous. And, but that's where it comes from. Oh yeah, abs- absolutely. And, but just the, uh, what they messed up with the wig and the CGI oh. of the exteriors, they made up for in the styling. Beth is so gorgeous. Once she gets going, there's no. She is so smoking hot throughout this whole thing. Just look after look after look. She she's so stunning, and um, the performance is so stellar. And uh, the people that she comes in contact with, uh, the men, and um, the way the story unfolds, I was captivated. I was shocked how I got sucked into this story in this world and her passion, her obsession with this game uh, just carried me through. Yeah, absolutely. That To be that dedicated to something takes a lot. You know, there are people, you can think about the things that you are passionate about and dedicated to, but that level of dedication, even without, you know, the hallucinogenic drugs that made her see the things on the ceiling, the fact that you're seeing things on the things on the ceiling that because and it's shown not to spoil it, but she was able to do that without the drugs at, at a point. So that shows that that's the way her mind worked, that she was able to work out these complex problems in her head. And, and chess is a complex problem or a series of complex problems. Don't do I play? Nope. But I know that it is. Uh, and so it just that dedication to that one thing, because if you think about it, she okay she lost her her birth mother right her mother at one point she loses the adoptive mother um she loses and i think that also has a lot to do with why she doesn't necessarily get too close to people especially you know some of these relationships she's also kind of like a freeish spirit but she doesn't get too close to the relationship she has tend to be about sex if that makes any sense and chess, sex and chess. Well, but- one of the things that was kind of interesting to me, well, there's a couple things. Well, I was, I really admired the relationship between her and her adopted mother and how they build this friendship. And I, the, the show really zigged when I thought it was going to zag because I thought that it was going to be, first of all, even down to back with the the uh, janitor, I've just thought like when she goes into the basement, I'm like, oh my god, I don't want to watch this girl be molested. Please don't get molested. And she didn't get molested. She had a, a friendship with an old. Uh, it's so sad now. I've seen so many things. TV has messed me up. Where <laughs> where it used to be a delight where you'd have like a child and they'd have a friendship with an older person, a senior citizen, and it was delightful. But then <laughs> we had a whole swath of like anytime anybody who isn't the parent of a kid that talks to them, they're always like a pedophile in movies and stuff. Yes. And so I was just like, oh, please don't get molested. And then she didn't get molested by by uh, the, the janitor. Then when she gets adopted, I'm like, oh, God, I hope she doesn't get molested by the by her new adopted father. Uh, and she didn't. Then, I, then she has this new stepmom. Oh, I hope she doesn't like abuse her. Now, the, the stepmother has her issues. She is an alcoholic. And oh, she's yeah. just much like her own mother, her birth mother also suffers from depression. So she yes. she got she got dealt two depression moms uh, in a row, and but they have this friendship, and I love the fact that her mother takes joy in her success, 
and how they and of uh, the adventure and and she never talks her down and she's always supportive as you know mess up as she is sometimes so many times with in real life as well as in characters when somebody's messed up they tear down everybody who's near them but the mother basically really supports beth and i love the way the relationship played out well, you know, I think that her mom, that that is all, I don't remember her mother's name. I will uh, think about it in, um, in a moment, but you know, I think that, um, it, that's really what she has because remember it was a bad marriage. The whole reason that they went to go adopt is because apparently, and you'll hear, you hear this later, her quote, adopted father was just really not into the marriage and tired of uh the wife and was basically trying to do things to shut her up yeah basically like, he uh, wanted to give, give her, her a piano. key yeah give her something to give her like a basically a human puppy like here uh, uh take care of this puppy and maybe it'll get you out of my hair because her, her father exactly. base her adopted father is a traveling businessman and so basically to placate his wife fine adopt this older child that's like 10 or 11 or, or no like 14 just to basically give you something to do exactly exactly uh but eventually that's not enough staying away he stays away permanently and beth says to her adoptive mother now that he's not coming back are they going to send me back and her mother says that's a possibility but not if we don't tell them so you know it it shows that she could have said yeah sorry you might as well go back because <laughs> you's going back you's going back so she could have said that but it shows that she really had started to form some sort of relation you know some sort of relationship with her and of course it was slow at first uh, i don't think she knew how to have a relationship because remember she had lost a child so, which in a way, I kind of feel like this is the story I made up in my head that I think part of the husband's disdain for her was the fact that she did lose a child because especially back then, they always thought that anything that went wrong with pregnancy or whatever was the woman's fault. No, which it might be you. <laughs> so, yeah, so well, the, you the know, character, the character of the mother, her name is Alma, and uh, Alma, the, that's it, that's yes, yeah, yes, yes. and um, um, the actress's name is Mar uh, Marlene, Marlene Heller, I believe. Yes, Marella? yes, Mar, Mar, uh, Mar uh, I think it's Marielle Heller. Thank you. Marielle Heller. Yes. Anyway, she did an she did a stellar job. Uh, I enjoyed her in every episode that she was in, and uh, sad to see her leave the show. Um, one other thing. Now, this was clearly uh, designed to be a one and done. I haven't heard any word yet on if there's a plan to do another season, only because of the fact that this was just such a stellar success. They had no idea it was going to be as big as it was. And um, some people feel like, well, they just want more of uh, the Beth character as I, as, as do I. Um, but uh, in, in actuality, the character story has been told. I don't know what else the writers could come up with to do with Beth because it's been a, such a stellar journey. But what I can say as far as a, a sequel goes is to me the character to follow if they can't get because this has been a star turn for Anya 
uh, Taylor Joy, absolute star turn. Um, the way she entered the scene in this in this in this uh, show, absolute star turn, star quality, star vehicle, star, star, star. But uh, the 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 character to me that they absolutely gave you a taste of that definitely has more story to tell is Jolene. Where Jolene's character is yeah. at the end of the series, she is uh, working uh, as a legal assistant. She is dating an older white lawyer, and she's also a militant on the DL. I mean, just like, I need more Jolene. More I need of that a, story. No. I, yeah, go ahead. Episode, when she popped up at Beth's door that day, I was like, oh, she's back. And they did it so slow. There was no indication at all whatsoever that she was going to pop back into her life. And the thing, and not only that, she is working as a legal assistant as she's saving up to go to law school. So she already has a degree and now she's saving up to go to law school. So uh, she went, I forgot where she said she went to uh, Kentucky state. So she went to Kentucky state and um, was saving up for law school. I mean, a 100 no, 360-degree turnaround from where she was. And unexpected, especially as a, quote, colored girl, as they would call them back then, for, for that to be the path. And, and, you know, the thing is, there are so many... Uh, let, let me say this again. You're welcome, America. Once again, a black woman has saved the day. No, okay, I was going to ask I, you about that, because some, some people have complained that Jolene is uh, it's the black savior thing that Jolene comes in and saves Beth but i think that um what to me is uh, illustrates things is Beth basically says uh, uh Jolene says to Beth like when when and when Beth is even questioned like well why would why are you helping me uh at this where i'm at my lowest and basically she said like cuz because maybe you know all we have is each other maybe you'll be helping me one day and that that basically they were sisters they were, they were absolutely, absolutely. I mean, anybody who gave you those drugs to help you be okay, <laughs> you you know that that's your sister. So <laughs> I, I mean, uh, it it's but it just I just thought about that. I was like, oh, you're welcome. Once again, we saved the day because were it not for Jolene, she would not have gone to Russia. Because if you recall, the reason she she was it was paid for by some Christian group. Yeah, but, and the Christian and uh, yeah, she, yeah, she basically read the Christian groups uh, for filth, and they were like they had cut ties with her uh, because she wouldn't basically they want her to release some kind of Christian statement or whatever, and she was like, I'm not doing that, and so they cut no. Ties what she with said her. is, I'm not effing saying this. <laughs> I I tried to say it classy, and she cut ties. Thank you, Tashi. <laughs> I'm trying to let you know that she stayed true to her ratchet self and said, I'm not effing saying this. So. <laughs> so yeah so since she's uh cut ties with them that uh they had apparently already paid for her to go to one of the tournaments because the thing of that christian group was to support those people that could spread the message of quote christ but under the guise of squashing communism because communism was anti-christian and so they hooked on to especially chess players i guess who were stars at that time etc to to do this this that dirty work for them and so she at first accepted and and it's they've already they had already paid for one tournament for her and then they were going to pay for this trip to russia of course that didn't happen and so it was then a question of trying to figure out how am i going to get there 
Jolene swoops in, gives her the money, not just the money, the money she was going to use for law school. And uh, Beth is like, but isn't this your money for law school? She says, it is. You'll give it back to me when you win. And she says, what if I don't win? And then she says, well, it was still worth it. Ha! Huh! If nobody can give us medals, I don't know who can. <laughs> So anyway, that's why I need... I, okay, you hear me, Netflix? I need a Jolene series. If you're not going to have a straight up um, a second season of Queen's Gambit, where we follow the main characters, uh, and Jolene is a part of that series... If uh if the story of uh Beth is done and completed and Anya doesn't want to come back and revisit the role, then you need to do a story where we basically follow and I need to go back. I need us to to basically show what happens to Jolene's character after Beth got adopted. I need to see her in the orphanage. I need to see her leave the orphanage and I need to see her go to college. I need to I need the journey. The whole McGilla. And that's going to be uh, that's going to be a really interesting journey because not that we know, but something tells me she did not get adopted. And oh, absolutely was, her, was not a no. She aged out of the system. I'm 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 she all aged certain. out of the system. Exactly. And when that happens, I mean it's like that just means you never really had anybody who took you on as their own and that's where you stayed, that you were a ward of the state until you you turned eighteen. So to have the mindset to I've got to be go, go beyond this and be better than this to where she is now. I would love to see that. In fact, I think that would be a more fascinating story than a season two of Queen's Gambit. Oh, also, because um, I'm not going to even try to uh, uh, pronounce her name because I'm going to mess it up. Please pronounce the actress's name, Tachi, if you have it, uh, that played Jolene, because I want to give her, because I thought her performance was so nuanced. And she played, the one actress played Jolene from childhood to adulthood. Um, she played her, and I thought she did an excellent job. Uh, Moses Ingram. Oh, okay, that's right. Okay, I'm like, is it? Mo All right, I wasn't sure because I was like thinking like I thought it was gonna be pronounced like in some kind of weird French way or something. But Mose. All right. Yeah, no, I think it's Moses. <laughs> I mean, uh, but with Janelle, a name like Janelle Mose. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but with a name like I mean, I would be embarrassed if my name was Moses and I didn't kill the role. So I mean, you you have a, a lot care on your shoulders when you have the name Moses. So. Also, I want one thing I want to say, which was really interesting to me about this particular series as well, was the men in her life uh, that I really liked the way that they 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 played. In, in particular, I really liked uh, the a character Matt, who was in love. He loved her. She never loved him. Um, she liked him and she basically kind of had sex with him just because like, well, you're here. I guess we can have sex, I guess. Uh, almost as if it was like she was doing it just like as like, well, I guess you want this. So I guess I'll have sex with you because he was helping her with her chest and uh, kind of thing. And I kind of felt icky about it in a way. But what I loved was it gets to a point where he sees that how good she is and he realizes that she does not love him. And right. he basically tells her, I've taught you all I can teach you. I've given you all I can. Um, you're beyond me now. And he leaves. And it was a very loving thing. And then later, when she's really at her lowest, he does come back and he tries to basically pull her out of the dumps. And sh and he's unsuccessful. And others are unsuccessful. And it basically takes Jolene, again, the black savior. 
to yeah. come <laughs> to come and uh and uh, and shake some sense uh into Beth. But I I liked that particular character. Also, there was a um she the, the, she she does the one man that she has feelings for turns out to be gay. Yeah, the way, well, the way they well, see, I knew that. I knew that he was gay when um when they were in the hotel room. Oh he, well, yeah, we all well, knew when that happened. Go ahead. I, 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 he he was gorgeous. He was gorgeous, by the way, very nice looking um man. So I saw. I was like, I knew he was supposed to be gay. When I'm like, first, gay is not one thing. But I knew from the way we're there, and they even tried to hint at that with Beth and the French girl. You know, did you notice that? Oh yeah, I was. Be- I was thinking like, are they gonna have an affair or something? And it, but it didn't go. It did not come to a physical fruition. But the the whole the the whole thing about um Alston Alston Alston. How do you pronounce his name? Alston Alston. Well, anyway, the character's name of uh, who turned out to be gay, and uh, the way we the way we and she finds out that he's gay was so pitch perfect. And um and the I love the way that they they still had a friendship, uh that went beyond her uh, her attraction or her feelings for him, um and just the the men in her life that and the kind of the they were they were normally the way in reverse they would be the the girlfriend kind of role I felt like that the guys that were in it were interesting and nobody was like using her she was her own thing and her biggest hindrance was always going to be her Um, exactly the thing is here's the thing they were all in her court let me just say this because I I don't know I don't want to give away that ending but it, unless you are like these guys that were in her corner, don't say you're my friend. The way they pulled together for her, despite whatever, despite how she's been, and obviously she, you know, it's that illness. Uh, <laughs> which, by the way, part of that alcoholism that's her birth, that's her uh, adoptive mother too. Who oh, oh, absolutely. No, it was two things. So, well, part of it that, that that I think the sh- the show was showing to me on the low was. She was uh, basically she's having a lot of success with her career, but then she just kind of like spirals when she doesn't have any more like, quote unquote adult supervision. But I feel what happened was she was still she was grieving the death of her mother. And, Absolutely. Oops, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. She was grieving. And so it just it she, she was going through some stuff. She no longer had that cheering session section that she had with her her adopted mother was just kind of she was her companion and she was her friend and she was her cheering section. And she lost all of that in one foul swoop. The adopted father who at one point was all like, you know what, you can have the house, I don't care. And then later he's all like, oh yeah, I want the house, I need or I need money from you. I mean, the girl went through some things, but I love the relationship the men had with her. And what was so interesting about it was, this is such a cutthroat world uh, and full of egos of people that want to be the best at this game. And when these men, each of the men that had come into her life, one point look at her as like a like they're they're basically they're gonna be like you know uh they're gonna be her sensei and it's like no the 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 student has uh, far surpassed the teacher and have them having to deal with their ego that this woman is better than them and then they 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 dealt with it and absorbed it and then also became and became like her biggest fans i mean especially you know at the end pulling together don't don't say you're my friend if you don't pull together like that that was 
really interesting. And like you said, yeah, it's about ego. But I think at a point they realize, you know what? It doesn't matter what kind of ego I have. This woman is better than me. It is to our advantage to, especially like the two, the two twins, you know, I just keep going back to the first time she registered for a tournament where she needed that $5 and the, her, uh, this was after she had left the home, the girl's home and, uh, her teacher that taught her chess, she wrote to him and said, you know, I need $5. I don't have it. I'll give you 10 if you give it. So he sent her you know, the $5 for it. And so when she went there to the first, they were looking uh, like, oh, well, what's your rank? I don't have a rank. She knew, she knew chess, but she knew so little of the actual workings of chess because she didn't know how to use the clock. She didn't, you know what I'm saying? She didn't know any of that. So they were with her from that point, you know, and then they realized how good she was. And I think also a lot, some of them had moved on to other things. So they moved on to other things. So it's almost like she's no longer competition anyway, because I've moved on to something else. Yeah, but even so, someone like even someone like Benny, who um who yeah. was competition, uh, but but it gets to a point where she was they were so captivated by how incredible she was that you right. gotta be on her side. You can't you can't you gotta you like gotta let your ego go. She is better than me. Because at one point he's like, Oh, I'm better than you. And she, he was better than her for a minute. Right. And then she she surpassed him as well. And then basically all not only did he move out of her way, but he tried to help her get even better to prepare her for her ultimate journey was to beat the Russians. And the Russians, it was it right. was an incredible journey. So anyway, we've talked about this a while. So I think people already know where we're going with this. But let Tachi, for the very first time in TV channeling history, let Sir. me ask you this question. I'm ready. When it comes to Netflix's Queen's Gambit, was it hype-worthy? It absolutely was hype-worthy. Like you, I was like, what's this Queen, Queen's Gambit rubbish? I'm, I'm not interested in watching anything about royalty. I, <laughs> I'm good. But it is, oh, so the opposite <laughs> of royal family and all of that. And it's just, it's a great story. And it's that story about overcoming. And I think, you know, there are these stories that, Everybody can kind of relate to this whole thing, even if it's not as severe. You may not have been an orphan. You may not be a chess prodigy, but you can identify with wanting something so badly despite whatever that you've gone through. You can identify with having people there that are in your corner or people that are not in your corner wanting to see you fail. You can identify with being, especially like you and I, uh, being, quote, what the mainstream does not consider mainstream, right? Whether you're black or whether you're LGBTQ or whether you're, you know, what, a woman, whatever. You can identify with that. So I think the great thing about this is that it's a story that people can see themselves in as well, pieces of it, even if it's not in her and other characters. So uh, it is definitely hype-worthy. So I get to ask you the same question. Kevin, when it comes to Netflix's The Queen's Gambit, is it hype-worthy? Oh, my God. As if we haven't already given this away. Well, yes, yes, a thousand <laughs> times, yes. I, I was captivated by this show. Absolutely captivated by it. Captivated by its star. This, Like I said this before, and I can't say it enough. Star turn. You can't. Whenever that this actress is on screen, you can't. To me, I couldn't look away. I was captivated by her, captivated by her beauty, captivated by the intensity of the performance. 
um, the story, where it was going to go. One thing that I looked up that apparently everybody was looking up because Google instantly, when I, when I started typing it in, Google's like, oh, we know why you're here. Because I was like, wait, is this based on a real person? Is she a real person? I need to see the real person. This was this was actually kind of a like a, a, a twist on the Bobby Fisher story, uh, an actual male chess prodigy where they changed things and made uh, made the character a female and uh, obviously changed many things about it. But um, I absolutely found the the thing captivating. It does bring to rise a question because there's been a few other things that have happened uh, recently in some shows where you've taken a male character and then gender switched the character of re- based on a real person and made them female. And I can understand why they're doing it. But what bothers me about that is there are so many real women's stories that are out there that aren't being told that to me need to be told a a perfect example of that is something like hidden figures there are these women that were a huge monumental part of the space program that we didn't know about until literally a few years ago because of that movie so there are so many women out there whose stories need to be told that we don't need to just basically do a gender swap where we basically tell a man's story and then uh, put a skirt on it Tell some of these women's stories out there that we don't know about. Look deeper. Look further. Um, uh, uh, you know, lift up rocks. Find these women that have these incredible stories through history that we that were forgotten. Uh, that were because of sexism or racism and uh, homophobia or whatever. Uh, those stories were basically, you know, um, uh hidden for lack of a better word from us so um you know try harder i love queen's gambit but there are stories of real women out there that actually existed that deserve to be told as well and there you have it it's hype worthy definitely (laughs) all right so let's move on so our second uh uh hype worthy uh question comes with shonda rhimes very first uh netflix series uh bridgerton netflix's bridgerton so uh let me tell you a little bit about bridgerton and then we will discuss uh wealth lust and portrayal set against the backdrop of regency era england uh seen through the eyes of the powerful bridgerton family so tachi what did you think of netflix's and shonda rhymes bridgerton so let me say this it is we have been so used to the shonda rhymes of scandal of for, is it for the people? Yeah, yeah for, for the, the people, people. Grey's Anatomy. Which, bu- Grey's Anatomy, um, which, by the way, one of the stars of For the People. Oh, my is, God. Is, is, the first, is, the first is, thing I spotted was one of the For the People actors is the star of Bridgerton. That's a, that's the thing I like about Shonda. She is loyal to those <laughs> to those who she who she uh, sees talent in, and so I, I we're so used to those types of dramas from her where there is like a extreme scandal where they you know we're we're used to to these types of of things from her very heavily uh, dramatic procedurals right we're used to that so when you see this which is a period piece I'm like. Now, this is interesting. This is really interesting coming from somebody who doesn't normally 
do this type of work. So sometimes, even as fantabulous as Shonda Rhimes is, sometimes when you try to branch out and do things other than what we, doesn't mean you don't know it, but other than what we see you for, A, it may not fall correctly with us because we're used to you for the other things. B, we may be overly critical of things because we are used to you for the other things. And then C, you just may, this may not just be your, your forte. You may be better with procedural dramas and things. Okay, so then this opens and it is so unlike what we're used to seeing from her. Of course, multicultural cast, you know that's going to happen. But there, you also have to be very aware of, and it's not, uh, it's not, you know, a, a an incredible thought that that would happen because that was it was not America, right? It was England. Those types of things did happen, so it was not uh, completely off the mark for it to be multicultural uh, in the way that it was. Not at all. Okay, well let so, me let me explain for those people that don't know what you're talking about yet. Tachi. Okay, go ahead. So, explain. All oh, right, so um, try not to give spoilers. Go ahead. Initially, well, no, we're um, we're a warning. <laughs> Danger, Will Robinson. Spoilers ahead. We're gonna just we're going <laughs> in deep. That's what that's what hype worthy is all about, Tachi. We go in. So you're we're right. gonna tell you things. And so if you haven't seen Bridgerton yet and you want to go in again, baby fresh. Olive oil extra virgin, then you know, hit pause, go watch the show, and then come on back. So, um, it's a Regency era show, so there's corsets, there's carriages, there's lords, there's ladies, but there's people of color, and they're not just servants, they're lords, there's ladies, they're even a queen so the question is how did this happen because initially when people were seeing the uh artwork and commercials for the show they were like oh is this a colorblind casting kind of situation and uh the producers were saying no it is not and so the question is well how are there black lords and ladies uh in 1900s uh uh era england and so this is how this is a kind of an alternate uh, timeline kind of thing. So when explaining the importance of love to Simon uh, Bassett, uh, the man she raised after her best friend died uh, in childbirth, Lady Danbury, uh, mm -hmm. one of the show's black matriarchs, reveals that their white king fell in love with a black woman, uh, mm -hmm. Queen Charlotte. And that's actually, uh, there's some basis in history, apparently, that people do believe uh, that uh, this Queen Charlotte uh, uh, had African roots, absolutely had African absolutely. roots, and so mm -hmm. so this is basically kind of a jumping off point of that story, and so that the their bond was the reason why their society was uh, devoid uh, of racism, uh, at least on the surface. And so what I'm going to actually do uh, to because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to break it down like Lady Danbury uh, would or could. So I'm gonna actually play the clip where she kind of explains the genesis of how things operate in their society. <laughs> the young man I have always taken pride in raising well. I would have expected more. More discernment, more understanding, more appreciation. Lady you allowed that young lady to slip through your fingers as if it were nothing. I understand that you believe such subjects as love and devotion, affection and attachment, you find it all trite and frivolous. 
But have you any idea? Those very things are precisely what have allowed a new day to begin to dawn in this society. Look at our queen. Look at our king. Look at their marriage. Look at everything it is doing for us. Allowing us to become. We were two separate societies, divided by color, until a king fell in love with one of us. Love, your grace, conquers all. I believe that remains to be seen. The king may have chosen his queen. He may have elevated us from novelties at their eyes to now dukes of royalty, and at that same whim, he may just as easily change his mind. All right, so that basically is the only time that race really gets discussed in the whole series. And so what did you feel about that? Some people had some real problems. They felt like race got such a short shrift. They, uh, because uh, 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 one one article I read basically said like, oh, it, you mean just like how having a black president ended racism in America? So the idea that even <laughs> if we were, even if we were in this alternate timeline where uh, the King of England married a black woman who was known to be black or African of African descent or African. Would that have basically, because uh, no, none of the white characters ever discuss race in the series. So no, they don't have to. They don't have to. <laughs> the society is built for them, so there's no need. Ra- talking about races is a non sequitur for them. They don't have to. But see, I disagree because, like, why wouldn't they be like, well, they might have a problem with it. They might be saying, like, I don't want my, uh, you know, daughter marrying that black man or whatever, no matter what his title is or whatever. So they basically they seem to be moving through the world, the characters anyway, as if they don't see race anymore. Um, that's the way it's portrayed. And so some people had some uh, issues with that. Yeah, I mean, and I could see where people would have issues with it because it seems unrealistic. Uh, And simply because, you know, Queen Charlotte was of African descent, there have been other princesses, etc., that have been of African descent as well. That doesn't mean, all you have to do is take a look at the uh, modern day uh, Harry and Meghan story and know that there was... You know, she suffered at the hands of some. And obviously, that had to do with not only was she a commoner, not only was she American, but she's also biracial and black biracial at that. <laughs> so I, I think I, I think that when we're coming from the context of that, that it does seem unrealistic that race would not even be looked at, particularly at the time we're talking. Is this this is the nineteen early 1900s? No. Yes. Early 1900s or late 1800s. This is taking. I place. believe it's supposed they they've said some of the articles I've read claim that it's supposed to be the early 1900s, and so uh, slavery ended in the UK before it ended in America. But you know, there were African slaves there for uh, quite some time. So absolutely, absolutely. So the idea and- that because the king, even after slavery ended, that that would basically end prejudice. Uh, 
just is kind of ludicrous. I actually personally would have liked it better had it just been a colorblind casting kind of like this is just a straight straight up fantasy and we're going to basically you know um there was a, a show that Sean Rhymes did called Starcrossed which was kind of a continuation of the uh Romeo and Juliet story which had colorblind casting where you had all kinds of different actors just the best actor for the role regardless of race um, was uh, uh, so there was no discussion of race because it was like a fantasy world where race isn't an issue. And so by t- touching on it so slightly, like in that clip I played you, I feel like there's feel like there needs to be more than just that little nod. And even the fact that um, uh, his character is even talking about the idea that just as quickly as the whim of the king doing this, all of this, all of this can be taken away just as easily as it was given. And so no one else seems to be talking about this other than them in that one scene in the whole first season. Maybe everybody else is just trying to lay low and not. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not rock the boat, but he's a duke. He can, he can rock the boat uh, if if he likes. And you know, the thing is I was, I was with him because you know, when she said, uh, she said love conquers all my house. I know it doesn't. I was like, and I'm like exactly what he said, just like he decided he likes this tomorrow. He could decide like the great and powerful Oz in the whiz today. I'm tired of green today. The color is red. He could decide that. Okay. (laughs) Oh my my God. Tasha, you and these deep cut references. Okay. I I can feel a brand new day, Tachi. All right. Ah, So let's talk about the central relationship in this series. So basically the show starts uh, at, uh, at the at the coming out season, where there's a there's a, a each season there's a season where all of the young ladies that are basically marriage material are ready to be married. They they've come of age. They're like I guess what fifteen, so they're old enough to become wives now, and uh, they're presented uh, what? No, I'm laughing. <laughs> uh, well, they are like I think they really are at the time. They're like fifteen or sixteen, and it's just like it's well, time. yeah, because your you, life expectancy wasn't. Yeah, that you old maid, you're like you're pushing six, you're pushing pushing seventeen. You need to be married. So, um, anyway, so uh, we basically uh, meet Daphne, who is uh, uh the the uh the oldest daughter of the Bridgerton family, a very prestigious, very wealthy white family, and um. So she's trying to get the best possible husband, but she, but not just by the the time standard, as in wealth and position. She wants to marry like her her parents. They were married for love, and so that is not an easy thing to come by to find a proper match, as in somebody of the right station, of the right background, and the right kind of uh of uh you know coins, um and. Right. Also happen to be in love with them too. That is a tall order. And so basically, um, at the same time as she is out there uh, trying to basically be seen by everybody as the as the it girl, and the queen basically kind of names her as in, oh, you are the catch of the season. And so the word is out that yeah, you need to look at you need to look at Daphne. And so uh, Simon is also being looked at because he is a super eligible uh, uh, bachelor, the most eligible bachelor. And um, not only is he super handsome, but he's super wealthy and he's got a title. And so they decide to help each other. So uh, because Simon is actually uh, uh, his best friend is Daphne's older brother. He agrees to help Daphne where to make her seem uh, more of a catch 
by him being such a hot catch, he will basically be with her and kind of front like he's interested in her, which will only raise her her basically her uh, the amount of offers and the options that she has because such a desirable man wants her. And so and for him, what he gets out of it is it gets to take him out off the market, uh, so to speak, because everybody is after him. Every every mother is trying to foist their daughter on him. And so by making it seem as if he's focused on her, that kind of takes some of the heat off of him. And all, all while all this is happening, there is an unknown uh, author who is basically run, talking about this, the play-by-play of all that's happening during the social yes. season. Um, basically, it's kind of like uh, an Edwardian-era gossip girl, uh, where this this uh, this uh, uh, paper comes out that basically gives you all the behind-the-scenes of 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 uh, who's vying for who and what's going on, and um, the, but nobody knows who the author of the uh the scandal rag is well let me just say that the the person the character or the paper is lady whistledown so you gotta love that name down i do too but you know who the voice is no julie andrews (gasps) oh that is perfection perfection Perfection. absolute she's already royalty in my eyes why not have her as part of this cast so the voice of the you know the, that whole there's voiceover that happens yeah, she, basically the, the narrator of this of the series is the author Correct. uh and it's voiced by her and so that is perfection i did not know that it was it was actually julie andrews who was voicing the character that's it amazing. is julie andrews shonda great choice with Julie Andrews, definitely. Absolutely. One other thing that needs to be mentioned is the fact that in the uh, this is a, a come Bridgerton is uh, from a series of books, and in the books, this is uh, this was a twist. the The racial element was not a part of the original uh, uh, series of books, so this is truly uh, you know the this twist on it um, is you know due to Shonda Rhimes. Oh, absolutely. And you you know, let let's let's be clear and honest. If there was not this twist with the uh who shall we call it an ethnic twist with Lime, if that wasn't there, would it be <laughs> It's like a drink, an ethnic it's, twist with lime. It's a new ethnic twist with lime. Yes, exactly. If that wasn't there, would you be as compelled to what now not not knocking the story, it's still compelling. But there's something even more compelling about a multiracial cast of characters and this whole world. Okay, the uh, ex- the lots of sex there, which is uh, Shonda Rhimes' hallmark in every in everything she does. But this really gives it zing, I would say. Oh, ab- oh, ab- without saying, first of all, people, a lot of people love Edwardian uh, kinds of Pride and Prejudice type deals, but to all of a sudden the world that it opens up to basically for children of color to see themselves uh, and to be able to put themselves into that world, into that fantasy. I mean, Disneyland, Disney, Cinderella, all is based on this unwarning, these fantasies. And so that fantasy has been, uh, been very, very, very much in need of sunblock for a long, 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 long time. Thank you. And in this world, you don't exist. Even when you think about it with, okay, Cinderella and, you know, the stepsisters and things like that. 
that not that there of course there were poor uh <laughs> poor people non-melanated people in these things but you don't see uh, this just means that a whole group of people don't exist in these worlds and for the longest time these are the stories we've whole we've heard albeit not in the capacities as uh, dukes and duchesses and, and royalty to a large extent. Obviously not. They came over as enslaved individuals. But um, they're still absent. So you grow up thinking that, oh, well, black people don't exist in England at this time. They most certainly and, and Yes, in reality, they absolutely did. In fact, the there's a boxer character that is actually based on a real person. There was actually a, uh, 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 at the around that time, there was a, uh, an, a black boxer who did uh, have an incredible career and, and reach prominence and, um, uh, and become quite wealthy at the time. So a lot of times we see these kinds of, uh, you know, these Emma kinds of stories these movies with these corsets and people fainting on fainting couches and you don't see anyone of color but in the reality people of color did exist in that world at that time and so it's a disservice to paint that we didn't exist but it definitely this is a fantasy as far as in there weren't there weren't back black dukes and duchesses and stuff like that also there have been complaints about the fact that 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 the that there aren't more ethnic groups because there's like there at one point there is an asian actor who's a part of a three-way speaking of the sex in the show and so we yes. don't really see a lot of other uh, uh, ethnicities so maybe in season two they'll branch out further and we'll see more people of color of diff different ethnicities and seen in a variety of ways not just as a, a sex partner concubine um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, concubine. Farewell, my uh, concubine. Um, exactly. So let's go get back to the, the central story. So like I said before, Simon and Daphne are basically pulling a ruse to help her become uh, seem even more like the 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 e ticket or the, the the hot property and to kind of get everybody off of his back. But what ends up happening is they start catching feelings for each other in during while doing this ruse uh they develop feelings and so one of the other controversies about this show but be, beyond race i wanted to hear your take on tachi was the idea of toxic relationships because some people feel that that daphne and uh, simon's relationship is very toxic because at one point uh Daphne wants all that a marriage would entail at that time. She wants to be uh, a wife as well as a mother. And so Simon doesn't want to marry her initially because of the fact that he says that he can't have children. And so due to some circumstances we won't go into, he kind of has to, for her honor's sake, he has to uh, marry her. And so she she loves him so much she's willing to forgo having children to be with this man that she truly loves and she's all happy and they have sex for the first time and oh my god tachi like you were saying shonda rhimes has been pushing envelopes over at abc yes. as far as she possibly could when it came to sex why did i not understand that when she came to netflix <laughs> the, the, the envelope was going to be pushed off a cliff 
Because you thought that there was somehow was going to be different. <laughs> oh my god, I have never seen so much thrust. Uh, uh, it's less thrust is taken to get the uh, uh, to get a spaceship into the uh, a rocket into the uh, into the uh, uh, to the moon than there was in this show. Oh my god, the oh sex gosh. scene between Simon and Daphne, it kept like the Energizer Bunny. It kept going and going. And because at one point they're having sex and they're like, uh, uh, it, it is going down. I felt like so they put on some Barry White because it was going down. <laughs> and then the camera starts to pan off like, OK, we're going to go to the window and go to the next scene. And then the camera pans right back and they're in a different position. I'm like, are we done? Yet? And they kept going and they kept going. And all I kept thinking as I was watching is I was watching it by myself I'm thinking like, OK, because of quarantine, a lot of people are watching things together. The show premiered on Christmas Day. People were watching things as a family. I can't think of anything more uncomfortable than sitting Hell next no. to like your mom or your kids watching Simon just. But you know what? This is not a family show. Anybody who knows knows that Shonda Rhimes is not, is not in the habit of making family-friendly shows. So if you're watching this with your children, that's on you. You should have read the synopsis. You should have read some of these things before you went. It's Shonda Rhimes. Come on now. Okay, I'm not giving so, them a pass. Well, yeah, lots and lots and lots of thrusting. So, um, so anyway, so it turns out what's happening is uh, we're led to believe as an audience that Simon can't have children. But it turns out that Simon can have children. He's just withdrawing before he ejaculates. So which is why we basically see the whole sex act, because we actually see him pull out. And um, well, we don't see it, but we, you know, it's implied. Right. Uh, those of you thinking like, wait, is is, is this is this Skinamax? No, it's <laughs> it isn't a porno. Uh, but anyway, uh, so he he's pulling out, and so because Daph, this is you know the early 1900s. Daphne is very naive. Um, she basically knows nothing's of the way, of the ways of the world or whatever. She was a virgin. Uh, Simon most definitely was not. He had some training. No. A lot of training, a lot, apparently. A lot of it, as they show. <laughs> so, so um, at one point, Daphne basically, you know, she uh, she knows nothing. She's like, "Does it hurt? Are you okay?" She doesn't know what's what's happening when he ejaculates, and so eventually she starts to get suspicious, and she and, and she goes to like uh, uh, one of like the uh, the ladies' maids, and basically asks her like, "I need you to talk to me and basically give me the rundown of everything about how how a child is conceived. How how does it come to be? Spare nothing." There was an incredible scene where she confronts her mother. The rage that she has at her mother that she got that she went and became a bride, a, a, a wife, and knew nothing. That her mother sent her out into the world knowing nothing about sex or men's bodies or anything was pretty pitch perfect, I thought, that confrontation. Absolutely. Because you know what the thing is, that conversation is still had today. It's not like it's an Edwardian uh, thing. That still had today where you have, okay, you don't want your school teaching, you know, some of these people, ultra conservative people, no, we don't want to taught in schools, but you don't want to teach them either. And so they don't know exactly, except from the streets of how things happen. And then you're all surprised when they're on 16 and pregnant. Well, let me show, let me learn you something. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. So, you know, there's that, I can see where the rage, uh, 
Daphne has comes from because it's like you sent her out into the world unprepared, but that's only because she was sent out into the world unprepared. There was, as there still is, but especially then there was such a low regard for women and women and not needing to know what's what, you know, except, and it's not, wasn't proper, you know, for those things to be done. It wasn't proper for you to enjoy sex. It wasn't proper for you to even know about it. That just was not done. So I, you can't blame her mother completely. That was what it was, but you can blame her uh, for being angry. You can blame Daphne for being angry. Or you okay, can't so the, blame Daphne for being yeah, angry. Yeah, exactly. So the so the controversy with the whole idea of the toxic relationship is the fact that he's lying to her. Um, he marries her, uh, letting her think that, sh- that he can't have children, as opposed to saying, I will not have children, versus I can't have children. So uh, uh, Simon had a very abusive father. His mother died in childbirth. And his he uh, the, as a child, he stuttered. And his, his father thought him an idiot and immediately basically disowned him, which is where Lady Danbury came in to basically uh, raise him uh, because he was sent to go live with servants and basically be hidden away because uh, his father felt like our situation as being people of color is very tenuous. Uh, that now that we have titles and we have something and that we have to absolutely be the best um, uh, or or what we have will be taken away. And so the idea that his son was less than perfect meant that he should not exist. And he was disgusted by him. And so he internalized this uh, hatred that his father had for him and he did not want to pass it on. He did not want to have, and plus he wanted to punish his father, but because his, what was important to his father was his legacy and his name. He had no other children. And so his name, his title would die with him. Uh, and so there's that whole story. And so people are like, it was very toxic. Uh, the games that he was playing with Daphne and not telling the truth to Daphne. Also, that leads to another controversy. So many controversies. I want to hear your take on Tanchi. Also, okay. people feel like there was an issue of a colorism because the actor who plays Simon's father is very dark-skinned. The actor who plays Simon is uh, fairer-skinned. Some might say he has more Eurocentric features. And that the 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 main characters that were of African descent, uh, that were the uh, the you know that were the dukes and duchesses, the main ones, not the background actors, but the ones that actually had lines. Those characters all seem to be very fair-skinned. The other dark-skinned character uh, is the boxer um that has a speaking role so did you feel like there was any kind of colorism or a very uh or the choice in uh in who they chose to play the father versus the son did you have a problem with the the actor who was played the main romantic lead as far as in colorism did you feel like that was a an accident or was intentional or or sub uh, subconscious do you have any thoughts um i do i have a lot of thoughts on that if this was an episode of Grey's Anatomy or any of the other shows and she only picked fair-skinned actors, then perhaps it would be a problem with colorism. This, to me, is right in line with historically what happened. Of course, there were darker-skinned people that, that were uh, there at the time because they were you know, descendants at that point of African enslaved Africans, obviously. But there was also mixing. And there was also, you know, mixing by force or mixing by choice. And that 
results in fairer skinned children. If you look, his mother died in childbirth. She was extremely fair skinned. Genetics are a fun, you know, an interesting thing. And so if the mother is fair skinned and there's also that, um, that conditioning that goes on, whatever was closer to white is going to be better in the sights of those who are of the classes, shall we say. So it's there's an awful lot of brainwashing that was done to black people there as well. So of course you're going to do things to ensure that you are you have favor with larger society. And if that means I need to find somebody fair-skinned, because I can't marry somebody, I probably can't marry somebody white, <laughs> right? Well, if you're a Duke, you can. But but if if that means that you have to find somebody fair-skinned to ensure that we're going to have favor, then that's what you do. That happens here. So I don't see it as totally ridiculous and off the mark that there would be more fairer-skinned people in there at all, at all. Because if you look at the history even of, of uh, enslavement in this country and the people that were no such thing as favor and slavery, but the people who were given more favor who the ones that were seen were who? The fairer skinned enslaved people. So I, I think let's not make problems where there are no problems, if you ask me. Well, that's interesting. I, I, I agree with you, and I, I absolutely get the logic of it. Um, I do hope that in the next season, because there definitely will be a season two of this, that we have uh, some uh, other characters that uh, are a gentry class that have darker skin. Um, like, like I said before, we have, uh, his father who was like a Duke, which is passed on that title to his son, but, and he had dark skin, but he is absolutely a villain. So it'd be nice to see a dark skinned character portrayed as not the villain of the story. Oh, absolutely. Uh, who also has a certain station as well. Uh, but the actress absolutely, who plays, but... uh, I gotta say, the actress who plays Lady Go Danbury ahead. is everything. I am oh, and Lady she, Danbury. All she is the she, no to me. She uh, she is the new uh, uh, Lady Grantham from like Downton Abbey. I love this character so much. I need more of her like with a quickness. Ajoa Ando. So here's the interesting thing here, and we've noticed this this surge in uh, in characters and actors and actresses that are of African heritage. So her, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Adwa Ando, that's an, a Ghanaian name. So I'm thinking she's half Ghanaian. And then um, Roger Jean Page is also half African. I can't remember from where, but um, he's also half African. So, you know, it's interesting because they're of the heritage that would make sense for this to work. So, and, and I'm there with you in terms of, I definitely want to see darker skinned people not positioned as the villain, even if that's not what you meant, it does come off that way, unless you balance it with some other things. But I, I also say, as long as it's, because they, this is not supposed to be colorblind casting. It's supposed to have some kind of historical accuracy, right? So if it's not historically accurate, when it comes to those types of things, then no, there may not be a need, but I do agree with you that it would be nice to see, but then this is what they need to do. And I know that their research people are on it, uh, looking for stories of, you know, people that were maybe one generation away from Africa that, um, 
that have a uh, station in life, you know, that are well, of the well, clearly like said. Well, cl- clearly like Simon's father, he was a clearly African, and but he had been given a title. And so there's got to be others who also had titles who were first generation and um, uh, of darker hue. So I just like to a see... A few, absolutely. I'd I'm like sure. to see some more, because um, we see them in the background. We see like in some ballroom scenes, we see... Some young ladies that have darker skin that are at the cotillion or whatever. Um, so that's great. But I'd like to have a, a a main character who has lines, who isn't a villain. That's all I'm asking. Now, let's talk oh, about a- one absolutely. more. Absolutely. Well, can I put into something really quickly sure. too, in terms of ethnicity? I think that it would be also really great when we talked about other ethnicities. Again, to me, it has to make sense. Unless it's colorblind casting, if we're talking about being historically accurate, it needs to make sense. So, do we have Asians that were there? Probably so, right? Wouldn't they have have Indians from India? Wouldn't they have um, people from India at that point? Right, right. That's what I mean. Southeast Asians, absolutely. So, to have um, some people from India, to have some people maybe even from China, if it makes historical sense, I definitely want to see that. So they just need to, you know, do the research and, and put them in there so that it, it's historically accurate. That's what All I right, wanted so, to say. Go ahead. So one last controversy before I ask you the question uh, that this is all about, this discussion is about. Uh, now, like I was talking earlier about the fact that Simon was lying to Daphne and making her believe that he could not have children when he, it was his choice not to have children. Uh, so he was uh, pulling out. Uh, and so once Daphne talks to a lady's maid and finds out how, how where babies actually come from, she basically flips the script when they're having a very passionate encounter. Again, pushing envelopes. There's like she flips. She basically flips the script and she flips him and she is on top and she is reverse cowgirling for all it's worth. And forces him to ejaculate inside of her. Now, the controversy with that is some people feel like the producers are downplaying uh, or belittling male rape. Huh? Because because he didn't want because he tries to stop and she holds him down and she makes him ejaculate inside of her. Which was not his choice, okay. which is what not what he wanted. Right. And so how do you feel about that? Is that blown out of proportion? Is it not a real thing? What do you think? That's a really interesting question because I had not thought about that angle at all. Um I had I hadn't thought about that angle at all, to be honest. I guess you could say that yes, it is be, be, belittling male rape. Um, because male rape is a thing, it doesn't happen anywhere near as much as the reverse. Oh, not even, yeah, not even close. But it is a real thing. So it was interesting to it uh, is a real like thing. it needs to be brought up that it's a thing. And one other thing that I wanted to uh, mention, I don't know if you felt this way, but I'll speak of this from my own feelings as a person who's kind of affected by this. If you saw the trailer for the show, they basically show in the trailer two men kissing. And so I thought that there was going to be one of the Bridgertons was going to be a gay character. Um, And some people were using the term queer baiting. And when you actually watch the show, it is none of the main characters are actually gay. 
or bi or fluid, none of the whatever terms you can come, none of it. They're all straight up hetero. And, <laughs> and so um, that that was put in the trailer to me very purposely, pur- pur- purposely to basically make people think what people thought. A lot of the gay and lesbian community thought that this was going to have a, this the Regency era thing was going to also have a story of um, at least one gay character major gay character or a gay couple and that was not the case and so what do you think did you feel like there was that they were basically trying to get people to watch with the with the promise of something that they had no intentions of delivering oh absolutely but that doesn't mean they will not deliver it because they've introduced it in this season and we can kind of see that there is you know, despite one of the Bridgertons, you know, it, it, it comes to be that this is like a whole community of artists. That that scene you saw is a community of artists, even though the main character is, is married <laughs> and has a wife. And he's, but he happens to be gay. And of course, you're not going to come out and say, I'm gay. Well, back then, that wasn't done. But uh, there seems to be a little bit of intrigue by the, I guess he's the middle. I guess you could say that. The middle Bridgerton. A yes, bit of it'll be interesting entry. to get right. You're right. I wasn't quite sure if they were going to because we do see him walk in where was where we get the glimpse of those of the two men um, uh, making out. And so uh, at one point he gets offered the chance to the wife and this Asian, this insanely beautiful Asian woman are like, well, hey, you know, join us. So the question is, you're right. It could in season two, it could turn out that character is is quote unquote curious or fluid, or bi, or straight up gay. So uh, time will tell. And one other thing I will say before we we wrap it up is I was shocked that, I'm not going to answer the central question, but the central, one of the central questions of the series is who is Lady, what is the, Lady Whistledown. Lady Whistledown. Who is the identity of Lady Whistledown? And much to my shock, I thought that we would find out the identity of Lady Whistledown season three or four. We at the end of the se- at the end of a season one, we find out who Lady Whistledown is. And I have to say, I was genuinely shocked. I was very, you know what? I was shocked, but not shocked because if you go back and replay, I was kind of like she's asking a lot of questions. <laughs> you know, so if you go back and kind of replay, even though or he a really good or job, he what <laughs> you gave away more. Well, what? you already gave the idea. I was I was said or no, he, but, but, was, but Lady said, Whistledown. Okay, yes, yeah, it's already kind of given away that it's a lady. So it's it's kind of there are all sorts of insinuations about who it could be. But well, I thought they're going to pull a Gossip Girl like Gossip Girl did. And Gossip Girl wasn't Gossip Girl a guy. So that's what I thought it was going to be. A I don't know, damn it! I didn't watch Gossip Girl. That's your thing. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't watch Gossip Girl either. But anyway, I thought that the, the big shock in Gossip Girl, the Gossip Girl, was actually a guy in the end. But anyway, um, so yeah, oh, go ahead. So you're talking about the you were you yeah, weren't surprised. I wasn't. I wasn't as surprised because there were a couple of possibilities clues. when I looked at it, and they even kind of there were kind of clues, and they even did a bait and switch kind of thing that made you think earlier in the series that it was one individual and it ended up being somebody else. Anyway, so I don't know. If you I was, remember I, that, gave, so. I give credit to them for re- making the reveal at the end. I thought it was very satisfying. Oh, and one last thing. 
How did you feel about the costumes? Because there's one of the other controversies was oh, a the, the costumes were not were not uh, period correct, as well as some of the costumes were just felt people felt like they were shoddily made or very ill fitting to some characters. What did you think? Because I know you were the fashionista of TV channels. I also realized that just like they use this horrific CGI in the Queen's Gambit, um, that they don't have a huge budget at Netflix, right? There's a lot there. And a period piece takes a lot of money, which is why I was really surprised that, you know, these two, even though there's the crowd and some of these other things, I was really surprised. I'm like, do you have money left for these things? Simply because it takes a lot of money to do a period piece and keep things that. So I, I think that was, that could be a mistake that they can learn from, that they can actually look at some of the costumes, etc. How can we make this more period specific or more period correct again if this is a fantasy world it doesn't matter what period it's from they can pick anything and make it Edward and say it's Edwardian but if you're trying to be a little more historically correct then I agree you need to make sure that the the costumes are of the period and if they're not you need to have a an explanation as to why and I didn't see any explanation. Yeah, I, to me, the issue is, I don't mind, to me, the issue is silhouettes. If the silhouettes are correct and they want to go crazy with color, because they had some colors that would not have existed at the time, I right. feel like that's a style choice. That's a that's a choice that we're going to basically, because this is this is bigger than life. It's um, There's some of the times the colors are so, there's a one point of uh, uh, Lady uh, 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 Downberry, or what is her name? Downberry? Anyway, but, uh, uh, yeah, Danbury, she is wearing like this purple, like top hat fascinator thing, where it's just like, I, I mean, I, I, RuPaul probably dropped his wig when she came out in that outfit. I mean, that was everything. <laughs> it was it everything. Was. It was, and okay, maybe you can explain it with, all right, Indigo, grown in Africa. Maybe, you know, one of the things that was done when uh, when slavery was instituted is that people would do things like braid uh, grains of rice and seeds into the girl's hair so that they would have something to eat when they got here. Could that be the same with Indigo and the plant? That Yeah, it, it, it could. It could be. You never know. So that they had um, these things. So... You could kind of explain, and then in the in the um, midst of all of that, even though you know slavery had ended, they could have taken, in addition to individuals, other things like indigo, etc. So you you could possibly get those colors, but on the oh whole, no, you, you what you're saying that actually makes a lot of sense. The idea that culturally that uh people that come from a culture where color is very prized and they like bright co brighter colors a brighter color palette that when those people come into power and prominence that that liking doesn't just magically go away and so they Correct. might incorporate some of the things that are more um african or from the african continent into an edwardian kind of style so the color kind of thing and that some of the pattern choices can uh, uh absolutely be explained away and i i thought it was fun but there were certain characters uh, that were just the, the dresses were like very ill-fitting. And yeah. uh, I think that was about money or not taking the time because they had a lot of costume changes. All right. So we talked. We went round and round. So we, we went over. I think we, we tried to touch on all the controversy. There's even more, but we got to stop somewhere. So, Tachi, <laughs> when it comes to Netflix's Bridgerton, 
Was it hype-worthy? Oh, it was absolutely hype-worthy. I watched, just like with Queen's Gambit, I binge-watched the entire thing. In fact, you know, when it comes to these types of really great series, I have to make myself stop and do the other things I'm supposed to do, okay? That's what I, and I needed to do that with this. I was absolutely enamored with the characters. I think that it was so well cast that you, you see when it's well cast, that's what you see beyond the actors. And, and that's what I was seeing here. There were no hiccups. There were no, I felt like I was in 19, uh, in the early 1900s, right? I felt, yes. wait, was it yeah, 19th century, which would have meant 1800. I don't know, but whatever the hell they were <laughs> around, <laughs> I, I felt like I was in that time period because I, uh, the the whole thing was erased because the acting was so good. It was just really seamless. So it was absolutely worth the hype. I'll ask you the same when it comes to Netflix's Bridgerton. Was it hype worthy? Oh my God, yes. Raise, I was raising the roof halfway through. I was like, I could not. Like you, I was trying to pace myself. And ended up doing a marathon against my will. I just could not stop watching it. I could not stop. Wa- I'm like, well, I'm going to try it. Like, you know what? I'll, let me let me replenish my fluids and think. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm back in it. I'm back in it. I back had one it. of those. I had one of those aluminum, like uh, those silver blankets over me <laughs> at the end of at the end of watching it. <laughs> What, what are you a rotisserie chicken? What, no, that? like you know how you know how they do with the, with the with the runners at the end of when they when they run that long marathon. Oh yeah, that, that yeah. silver blanket on. I'm like, are you okay? Because <laughs> I was, I ran through it. I could not stop. It was it it was intoxicating. Um, it had its flaws, most definitely, and it had some things that some choices I wouldn't have made. But of course. was it was it absolutely watchable? Oh hell's yeah! It was super watchable. It was it was like it was like potato chips. I could you can't stop it just one. I kept watching it. I was captivated again. Lady Danbury alone. Um. So and then the let we don't even get go, get into all the eye candy. The eye candy. The eye candy. So yeah, there was a lot to look at. In a variety of ways. Oh, wow. (laughs) So there you have it. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we have showed this is, I'm really excited. This was our first hype worthy episode. You're going to hear more hype worthy from us. Like Kevin said, many of you have been wondering what we thought about some series. And just because it's not brand new doesn't mean it's not hype worthy, or maybe it's not, but we'll let you know on our next episode of Hype worthy. I love that. <laughs> All right, Tachi. So if uh, people want to listen to our show other than how they're listening right now, how can they do it? Oh, wow. There are so many ways that uh, you can listen to us. You can actually first, let's just start with where we are on our website. You can go to not WJMS. You could go to uh, TV channel. <laughs> you could go to TV channeling.com and you can listen to all the past episodes and new episodes that drop every time we put them out. Also, WJMSradio.com, you can listen live on Tuesdays and Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, which is really cool. You can also listen to us on your favorite podcasting app, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, 
iHeartRadio and just actually Google it and you'll see all the different places. Pocket Cast, there's a bunch of different places you can listen to us. Now, if for some reason you vehemently disagree with what we've said about Queen's Gambit, Bridgerton, or any damn thing we've talked about, you can get to us on social media. Oh, and before we do that, before you go to us on social media and leave something, leave us a nice review, subscribe to us, and then leave us a nice review. So Kevin, how can they reach us on social? All right. So if there is a a new show you'd like us to review, or if there is an old show and you want us to basically deem it hype worthy or not, let us know. You can reach us on social media everywhere. We are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We are on my personal favorite, Twitter. We are TV channeling everywhere, and we would love to hear from you. So if you want to hear our take on anything going on in the world of entertainment, let us know. Absolutely. And once again, Kevin, thank you. This is our first show of the new year. So happy new year to you. Oh, and a very happy new year to you. Absolutely. And to all our listeners, 2021 is a little starting out a little rough, but I'm hoping that <laughs> that that as we as we move past, I don't know, let me pick a date at random. I don't know, January 20th maybe. Oh. That <laughs> that uh, the 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 seas uh, may calm, the waters may calm a little bit. Well, all I know is like that meme. I have experienced the free seven day trial, and I am no longer interested. So I'd like to cancel my free tri- <laughs> my trial, my subscription, please. So <laughs> hopefully, uh, January twentieth gives us some hope. But we hope that you all come back and listen to us for the next episode of TV channeling. And with that. I'll sign off the way we always do. Bye from Tachi. And goodbye from Kevin. And remember, if you're watching it, we're talking about it, if it's hype-worthy or not. Even with bad wigs. Cheers. (laughs) Oh, my God. Can we ever not talk about lace fronts on this show? Never. Lace fronts are our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.